This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Good morning, Johannesburg. Praise God on this wonderful, happy day. <laughs> every day is a happy day because we are blessed with every blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, this morning we're going to finish our series on the Eagle Christian. This is going to be part three. So why don't you please give the Lord a great big praise offering here this morning. Go ahead. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Dr. Bev and I left Durban and came to Johannesburg. And when we arrived here, we had no friends, except my brother lived here, Henry and Jackie. And, um, you know, they've been in the ministry for many years. And um, my dad and my mother lived here in Johannesburg as well at the time. But other than that, we didn't know anybody. We moved into a one-bedroom flat with nothing in it at all. We borrowed a bed and put it in the middle of the room. We had no carpets in the room, no curtains, no fridge, no TV. It was a living room, a lounge, and a bedroom. And the lounge went into the kitchen and a separate bathroom going off the bedroom. So, um, <clears throat> as I said, no curtains. So we would sleep in the, and we were on the ground floor. So anybody walking by in the morning, if they did, they could see us sleeping, fast asleep in the bed. So if we had to change clothes and shower, we had to do it in the bathroom, obviously. But I heard the voice of God saying to me, go to Bethlehem and start a church. That was back in Durban when we were living there and I was selling houses for a living. The Holy Spirit kicked us out of our comfortable nest and sent us to a place where we were strangers. And we got lost all the time. In those days, we didn't have GPS, we didn't have cell phones back in 1979. We had to use a regular paper map to get anywhere. And because we obeyed God and came to Jansburg, Many thousands have been born again since 1979, September 12, when we started the church. We thank God for that. And there are people living all over the world who got born again right here in this church. I guess they're glad we came. I guess they're glad we came. Now it's your turn. We got kicked out the nest by the Lord. Now it's your turn. The job is not finished. There are people in our suburbs all around us, around the church, and where you live around you, and you've got friends and family that don't know Jesus, probably, and folks that you work with, maybe not all of them are born again either, or go to school with, but some of them are crying themselves to sleep at night. Maybe you don't know that, but it's definitely what's happening. There are some that are sick, some that are lost, and some that are lonely, and those living among us and around us, some of them have marriage problems, and some of them have children problems, and some of them might have no money and no food. The Holy Spirit is trying to kick us all out of the nest to go 
and help these people and bring them to Christ so he can help them. Will you leave your nest and do your part to help them? Like Pastor Bevel and I left our nest to come here. Or must he wait forever? Or must they wait forever? Because you haven't decided to go yet. Did you know that your passion could be turned into a ministry that might reach many people for Christ? Your passion might be turned into a ministry. If you join Growth Track, you might find that the desire you have in your heart, the greatest desire, the greatest enjoyment that you have, could be the very thing God could use to help other people or encourage other people or even start a revival. Because you'll discover your gifts and see how that the passion God's given you can be used to further his kingdom. You didn't know that, but that's exactly what happens on growth track. You'll find out how every giant eagle leaves his nest. How foolish a giant eagle would be. Or look, if he sat in his nest all day long, a giant bee eagle, 14-foot wingspan, waiting for his mother to bring him some food to eat. Wouldn't that be a bad, sad story? Giant eagles are designed and destined to soar above the storms and the clouds. They are destined to dive 320 kilometers an hour and catch their prey, their food. We will never be fulfilled as giant eagles unless we get out of our nest and become active for Jesus. Like the giant eagle sharpens its beak, and I discussed that in part one of this series. I don't have time to recap on that. Very fascinating. I want to encourage you to go listen to part one. You can watch it on our app, on our church website. We need to sharpen our tongue the same way. We need to believe in our words. Mark 11, 23, Jesus said this. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. So Jesus was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he said, whoever says to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, he'll have what he says. So Jesus is telling us if we believe in our words, they will come to pass. We've got to start thinking before we speak so that we can begin to believe what we say because that's how faith grows. The person that speaks without thinking is not going to have good, strong faith. And the person that just speaks irresponsibly and and, and foolish jesting all the time, they're not going to have strong faith because they don't believe in their words. So let's look at some of the giant eagle Christians in the Bible 
and what they have accomplished to understand what we're talking about here. For example, Abraham. In Genesis 15, verse 18, the Word of God says, God said to Abraham, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, this is way back in the book of Genesis, right? Chapter 15, the first book of the Bible. And uh, so God said to Abram, to you and your descendants I've given this land. Now that word descendants there in the Hebrew, the original writing of the scripture, is actually seed, singular. Singular. Seed, not seeds. It's referring to Christ. To Abraham, to you and Christ, I've given this land as an eternal inheritance. Now, I have a little map up on the screen for you to look at, and I've highlighted in yellow the Euphrates River right above Syria and the river of Egypt, the Nile River. And you can see all that land between those two rivers. God said, he swore with a covenant that this is being given to Christ for an everlasting inheritance. All right? Now, all the scriptures in Genesis that refer to the seed of Abraham are translated as descendants, plural, in English. That's wrong. It's actually seed, singular, in the Hebrew. And you can see that in Strong's Hebrew Concordance, number 2233. It says it is child, singular, seed, singular. All right? So, let's go to Galatians 3.16. Paul writes the church in Galatia, and he says, Now to Abraham and his seed, singular, were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Now go to Genesis 17.8. It says, The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, which is between those two rivers, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now there again, it's not descendants, it's seed, singular, referring to Christ. So God is saying here again, all this land of Canaan where Abraham was standing at that time, long before Isaac, Jacob, and all them were born, Long before anything, anybody lived in Canaan, that whole land, this happened. All right? Now, so we can see here that God gave Canaan to Abraham and his, his seed forever back in the book of Genesis. And Christ is the seed of Abraham who inherited that land. This land belongs to Christ, and he will set up his throne in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, according to the Scripture for 1,000 years during his millennium reign on the earth. 
and we'll be reigning with him, praise the Lord. Now, the children of Israel arrive at the promised land of Canaan, which God had given them, right? We just read it. Gave it to Abraham. Now, God told Moses to send out 12 spies into the land to spy it out, to plan a battle strategy. And the spies went into Canaan and came back with a bad report. A bad report. What's that mean? A report of doubt and unbelief. The ten spies said, we can't conquer this land, Moses, because there's giants there, descendants of Anak, and they are 12 feet tall, and we look like grasshoppers next to them. And, uh, in fact, they think we are grasshoppers. Now, I don't know how they would know what the giants were thinking. Unfortunately, though, people who walk in unbelief and doubt and never use their faith, imagine other people think that they are worthless. They imagine that. But people who know their God, know that God is on their side, and they are confident because they know God's on their side. Praise the Lord. And so Josh and Caleb said, no, God is on our side. We can go and conquer this land. Let's go right now. But the three million listening to their discussion believed the ten doubting spies and said to Moses, let us go back into the wilderness and die there rather than die fighting these giants. And so God said this to Moses in Numbers 14, 28. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Exactly what you've said to me will happen to you. So, who was right? The ten spies? Or the two spies, Josh and Caleb? They were both right. Because the ten spies said we can't conquer the land, and they didn't. They went and died in the desert. They stayed there for 40 years until they were all dead and their children came back with Josh and Caleb and they conquered the land. But Josh and Caleb were also right because, yes, they said God is on our side and we can do it. So both people, both groups received what they said. The ten spies and the three million Israelites said we can't. They spoke death into their future. The two spies, Josh and Caleb, spoke life into their future. So now go to Proverbs 18, verse 21. God said, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And God also said, choose life. He said, choose life. Then God said after that, choose life. In other words, speak boldly and confidently words of faith of what I'm going to do for you, like Josh and Caleb did. They spoke life. The ten spies spoke death. He said death and life. Now God could have said, I have the ability to choose life and death for you. And he would have had that, of, that possibility, of course. He's God. 
He didn't. He said, death and life's not in my ability, it's in your tongue. So put your right hand up and say this. I have been given the privilege of speaking life into my future or I can speak death. It's up to you. God said he puts life and death in the ability of our tongue. It's our choice. So God doesn't want us to release death. He tells us in the next verse, choose life. Now, every eagle Christian knows our tongue can produce negative things into our future like death, destruction, failure, sickness, poverty, and disappointment, discouragement. Our tongue can also produce health, joy, peace, prosperity, and a godly, blessed family. Another example of this is in Joshua chapter 10. When Joshua and the Israelites were at war with the Amorites, Joshua spoke to the sun and the moon and told the sun and the moon to stop in the sky because he wanted more daylight to defeat the enemy. In Joshua 10, 12, the Bible says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, In the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Angelon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, that the Lord obeyed the voice of a man. Never been down like it. Now, we just heard Jesus tell us in the New Testament, that's the old, obviously, that we can move mountains. So still, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. If we fill our heart with faith and speak to our challenges, they will move. Hold fast to confession of faith without wavering. It'll come to pass. Don't let any doubt come out of your mouth. Now, all giant eagle Christians know it is not the giants of life that defeat us. It's not the problems of life that defeat us. The entire army of Israel shook in their boots when Goliath came out and beat his chest and said, I defy you, send me a man to fight me, and if I kill him, you'll be our servants. But if you kill me, we'll be your servants. That was a lie, of course. Nevertheless, so Goliath is about 11, 12 feet tall. He was their mighty warrior, their champion fighter. And so he challenged the armies of Israel. Really he's challenging King Saul because he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He must have been seven and a half feet tall, a giant man. He was a great warrior, no doubt about that. Anyway, King Saul was a lot smaller than Goliath, who was 11, 12 feet tall. And uh, David arrived at the battlefield to bring food for his brothers who were in the war. And they were all camped in their tents. And every time Goliath came out, 
they shivered in their boots. And they were on the one hill, Philistine army on the other, the valley of Elah between. And it wasn't too far away, just like about 400, 300, probably 300 meters from the top of one hill to the top of the other. And um, so David saw this. He saw the Israelites on the one hill and he saw the Philistines on the other and Goliath come out. And he said, what's going on here? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he can challenge the army of God? In other words, they don't have a covenant with God. We do. We are the circumcised ones. We have a covenant. God's going to fight our battles. He's on our side. Why didn't we go out there and just take care of this problem? And so this news was reported to the king, and the king sent for David. When David came before the king, um, he told him, he said, listen, he said, by my God, I slew the, the bear and I slew the, the, the lion, 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. And he says, by my God, I'll, I'll slay this Goliath. And so he let him go to fight him. Now, when David stood before Goliath, he said, this day the Lord will give you into my hands. Amazing. Imagine saying that to this giant. David, probably five foot eight feet tall, 17 years old, still gray, maybe five foot nine, a shepherd boy. And he shouts out, all he's got is a shepherd stick and a sling. And here stands Goliath with his helmet on and his big giant sword. And <clears throat> another man carried his shield. He's so big he didn't even bother with using it that he's just brought it along with him. This man just carried the shield for him. So this day, the Lord will give you into my hand. He didn't say, I'm, watch me how great I am. I'm going to slay you. No, he said, this day God's going to do it. And because David spoke those words, God could work through David anoint David and work through David with the anointing David's sling and he took that stone and when Goliath laughed at that statement his head went back, the visor went back, when he brought his head back the visor came down a few seconds later or a second later and that's when the stone hit his forehead. <clears throat> Another time David uh, was running from King Saul with his mighty men, and he, um, they were staying in a little town called Ziglag. And when they came home that day, they found that some raiders had come in and stolen their children and their wives and burnt down their city, their town, and stole all their possessions. And David was so discouraged because his mighty soldiers, his mighty men that he raised up, wanted to kill him. So now he had no friends in the whole world. They all wanted to kill him. But David knelt in the ashes of Ziglag, and he said this. Now, he could have thrown in the towel. That's a perfect place for him now to give up. But he said in Psalm 138, verse 8, The Lord is working out his plans for my life. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know. But say this. Raise your right hand and say, God is working out. His plan for my life. One more time. God is working out His plan for my life. You see, when you say that to your circumstances, 
then God can start working. And his plan, family, is always blessing, prosperity, provision, unity, deliverance. All the things that Christ purchased for us on the cross begin to work in your life when you say something like that. And he begins to direct your path, begins to order your steps. Thank you, Jesus. Now I say this, God cannot do more for me than my words of faith allow him to do. Let's say that one more time. God cannot do more for me than my words of faith allow him to do. Praise God. So we can have great faith in God's word. We can believe it from Genesis to Revelation. But it cannot work for us if we don't speak it. Like Mark eleven twenty three 23 said, if you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, it'll come to pass. So just believing in the heart is not enough. You can have money in your pocket, but you can starve to death if you don't take out the money and spend it. You can have the word of God in your heart, but it won't work for you unless you spend it by speaking it out. And all giant eagle Christians speak to their worries. They speak to their problems like David did. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 from the Amplified Translation. Casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, and all of your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Now notice that. God said, once and for all, give me your worries. Don't ever take them back. Don't worry ever again. So let's cast our cares on the Lord and leave them with him. Don't talk about your problems anymore. Talk to them. Say this with me. If I talk about the mountain, the mountain will grow. Now I say this, if I talk to the mountain, the mountain will go. That's exactly right. We need to praise God once we've given our problems to him from that moment on. And say, Father, I thank you. You've got these problems. You're dealing with them. It's not my problem anymore. I just praise you. While you praise God, he's working on it. While, so that while I'm praising God, he's working. You know, I, I don't understand folks who come to church, drag in a church after praise and worship's done. Now, I know once in a while things can happen and stop us from getting to church on time. There could be traffic problems, a, break, a smash on the freeway. Something can happen at home. I know that. But that's not the, that shouldn't be the regular situation. On a regular day, we should be in church when the church starts to praise and worship God. Because, you see, all of us should be using our faith for something. And all of us have given our problems to God, some problems at least. 
And God tells us to praise him because he's working on the problem. So the more I praise him, once I've given my problem to God, the only thing I do after that is to praise him. Father, I praise you because you're taking care of that. You are meeting that need. You're solving that problem, and I praise you for it right now. You're working on it. And the more you praise him, the more he goes to work. You lest you praise. You see, praise is a phenomenal expression of faith. And praising God because he is dealing with it is so important. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need in your prayer. And then thank him for all he has done. If you believe he's taken care of it and he's got it in control, then praise him. That's the instruction. Thank him for what he has done or doing. Hallelujah. If you believe God heard your prayer, then begin to praise him for it. And thank him for it. Don't keep asking. Keep praising. The next verse says, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds and you, uh, as you live in Christ Jesus. So I ask myself this question, if ever peace leaves me, because I walk in peace, I enjoy peace all the time. But if any time in my life peace goes, I stop and say, well, hang on a second. Have I stopped praising God because I'm now taking the problem back? Or there's things in my life that I am struggling with in my faith that I'm not fully using my faith on and I'm struggling to use, well, then I've got to confess it, believe it's done, and I'm going to start praising God for it because I'm always believing God. I'm believing God every day that every tither in our ministry is blessed of God because obviously if you tithe and you get more, if you double your income, you're going to double your tithe. And God's work needs the money. That's how I trust God for increase in finances in the church, is to believe God to, to bless the tithers. But certainly the mafia is not going to give us the money. So I'm trusting God for you to prosper all tithers. I'm believing God for that. Hallelujah. That's why I use my faith. That's how C CFC is built on the tithers. So I have to use my faith for you to prosper, right? Now, if you don't want to prosper... Somebody actually said that to you one time. I don't need more money. Well, then just give all of your money to God. <laughs> anyway. So, now, you will have perfect peace in your heart and mind. And if you don't, you haven't. You've taken your problem back. And you're not praising God. That's how simple it is. So I'm believing God all the time. And I have to ask myself that question. If ever I get worried or stressed about anything, hey, are you praising God? You're taking your problem back. So God would not ask us to do this if it were not possible. Why would God say, give me your problems and don't worry if it were not possible? Worry says, look at this now. Worry says, I don't trust God. Worry says, 
God is not big enough to solve my problem. That's not good. Worry causes our friends and family to think that God cannot be trusted. Can you see that? Worry causes our family and our friends to think God cannot be trusted. Especially baby Christians who see us worry. I think, well, if he's worrying or she's worrying, then, hey, we can't trust God, can we? No, we can't. That's a problem. Let's say this together, everybody. Say this together. The truth is, it is not possible to have victory in life and worry at the same time. Say this. Worry will steal my health. Say this. Worry will steal my finances. Say this. Worry will steal my joy. Now say this. Worry will prevent God from helping me. Can we see that? All giant eagles know that they don't worry. All giant eagle Christians know. They give their problem to the Lord and they praise Him. And they sharpen their tongue. They sharpen their beak on the rock, the Word of God. And confess the Scripture. Hallelujah. Well, I sure hope this has helped you. And um, now next weekend, I have a, a great message for you. We're going to be dealing with understanding the operation of demons and how to cast them out and deal with them. We have some really phenomenal information to share with you about what's going on in the world today so you can identify the demons working. And um, some Christians are confused about what's happening in our world today. So we're showing you what's going on in society, what's on TV. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about other stuff. All right. Let's close our eyes, and we're going to invite folks to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then directly after that, I'm going to invite you up for prayer. The pastors will be right up here to minister to you. If you need the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, if you need healing, deliverance, whatever it is, family challenges, come up here. The pastors and the leaders are ready to minister to you. And then um, there'll be no rush, no rush, because you go from here, from the front, directly out to the, uh, the mall after you're done uh, and they finish praying with you. All right? So, and then, of course, I'll be handing over to one of the pastors here in the church to close the service. Okay, so please bow your head, close your eyes at this time. All Christians, please pray. Thank you. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you don't know where you're going when you die, please understand this. You don't, you're not just dead like a frog. You do have a spirit and a soul. And you, that either goes to heaven or to hell. And when your spirit leaves your body, you can't tell that you don't have a body. It feels the same. looks the same as your body. In its youth, that is. 
So you don't want to go down into the earth when you die. That's terrifying. You want to go up. The only way that can happen is if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only way. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. So today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please, invite him into your heart. Invite him to tell you that you are his child. And confirm with your heart that you will go to heaven one day. And if this is something you desire from God, confirmation of your salvation, he wants to give it to you right there in your seat, right now. So the way to invite God to give you that information and confirmation is to raise your hand when I count to three. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Raise your hand when I count to three. If you'll do that, God will see that hand, and he will give you that confirmation when I pray for the congregation right now. And I'm going to pray for everybody right now. When I do, God will give you that confirmation. All right? Are you ready? I'm counting three. Slip those hands up. One, two, three. Praise God. So if you want the assurance that you're going to heaven, raise your hand. You ready? One, two, three. Now when I pray, God's going to speak to your heart now and give that assurance to you. And in the meantime, leaders are coming from everywhere to put their hands on, the, on those shoulders of those who have raised their hands. To let you know we love you and Jesus loves you while I say this prayer. And I invite the whole church to say this prayer with me, especially all of you that raise your hands. Let's say the prayer together. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Let's say this. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me. You are punished by God for my sins so I can be forgiven. Please forgive me, Jesus, for all of my sin. Come into my heart and save my life. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you are the Lord of my life. I believe you have risen from the dead. I will live for you, Jesus with all of my heart till I see you face to face. I surrender my heart completely to you right now. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for cleansing me. I am now your child, bound for heaven. Praise God, I am saved. Praise God, praise God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, 
www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.